For those of you who are sticking around, if you brought a copy of the Bible, please find Luke chapter 24, our gospel reading that Martin just read to us, Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 43. Now, um, let's get our bearings. So if, if you look at the page in the Bible that this is on, it's the last page of Luke's gospel. It, this occurs on a Sunday. Does anybody know what happened three days prior to this on a Friday? Anybody? This is a real question, not a preacher question. You can answer. Anybody know? That's right. Jesus was crucified. So on Friday, Jesus was crucified. And here we are three days later, the very first Easter Sunday, and he's alive. Notice what it says in verse 36, Luke 24, 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace. <laughs> you know, which I'm sure is like me hiding around the corner as my wife walks through a dark room and saying, peace. You know what that produces? The very next line. They were startled and frightened. And they thought they saw a spirit, which is, you know, maybe if I had my shirt off this Casper White creature running through the living room yelling at my wife and they were startled they were frightened why for the same reason you would be right um my, my mother died a couple of years ago at the beginning of COVID right imagine three days after she died um my family is together um and then mom suddenly shows up right we would be startled and frightened because they knew what we know that death is death that's the end. They knew how to tell a dead person. They had had to learn the hard way, right? How not to accidentally think somebody was dead. And so here they are, and this idea that Jesus could be alive just baffled them. Now, you do need to know something. You need to know that the Jewish people at this time did believe in resurrection. They believed that at the end of all things... When this old, tired, evil-infested world spun itself out, that Jesus was going to return, that God was going to return, and he was going to raise from the dead all of those who were a part of his kingdom. Now, this was the belief that at the end of all things, God was going to win and justice was going to be established. All that amazing stuff that Daniel read to us from Isaiah 60. These incredible stories about our children, our sons and our daughters being brought home, about all of the evil empires of this world relinquishing their thieved victories back to the kingdom of God. They believed all that. They just believed it was going to happen at the end. And so if, if you've ever heard the story in the Bible about Jesus with Lazarus when Lazarus died, and after he had died, Jesus was talking with Martha. The, the sister of Lazarus, and, and he was trying to comfort her. And he said to Martha, your brother will rise again. This is John 11, verse 23. And Martha responded, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. That was what the Jewish people believed. They believed that when it was all over, bam, every bad thing was going to come untrue. All the sadness was going to be healed. The tears were going to be wiped away from the eyes. Isaiah 60 sounds an awful lot like Revelation 21, 22. They believed in all that. But this wasn't that because Herod was still on the throne. 
because there was a lot of bad stuff still happening. So they were totally unprepared for somebody to be resurrected from the dead. Now notice what happens. Jesus says, why are you troubled? This is Luke chapter 24, verse 38. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And then I notice verse 40. He showed them his hands and feet. And then I just love verse 41. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. And while they still disbelieved for joy. So they've shifted. They've shifted from disbelieving out of just total bewilderment, right? Out of shock, out of fear. Now they disbelieve for joy. Now, you know what that's like. I know what that's like. It's happened to me several times in my life where something just too good to be true has occurred, and I disbelieved for joy. For example, back in 1992, April the 12th, I was 19 years old, and let me, this is going to be very hard for you to, to believe, but just try to believe. I was a nerd. And um, <laughs> just imagine. And um, not only just a nerd, I was actually like the president of the nerd club. Um, in my high school in Texas, I was in the band, which was very different than being in a band. Um, being in a band would have been cool. Being in the band, it just puts you at the bottom of the fish tank. And so there I was with all the other sucker fish eating the algae off the bottom um, with the bottom dwellers. And there was this girl. And she was not a bottom dweller. She was, um, she was in athletics, which put her in a different, like, part of the fish tank of high school. She was with the angelfish up at the top. And um, her name was Janelle. And uh, not only was she not in the band, the nerd club with me, she was an, and she was an athlete, but she was a grade ahead of me, which also put her in a different, like, ecosystem. And, um, but I had a crush on her. And... Um, I'd, ha I'd known her or seen her or talked to her several times. She doesn't remember. I remember what she was wearing, where it was in my freshman year and then my sophomore year. But here we were. I was fresh out of college, filled with confidence. And um, she visited the church where my dad was the pastor, which just like gave me like some boost up to the, the, um, the part of the fish tank where she lived. So anyway, one day I decided I'm going to ask her out for a date. So I looked her phone number up in the phone book because we didn't run in the same circles and she hadn't given it to me. But thank goodness for the phone book days. And um, Sloan and Shay and Shelby, y'all probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the phone book. Anyway, so I look up Janelle Hickey. There was not a lot of Janelle Hickeys running around in the world. There was her number, 4718283. That's right. And I called her and I said... Hi, I'm so-and-so. We go to the same school. Yeah, Laporte High School, I promise. <laughs> and um, I asked her if she would go out with me, and she said yes, but I disbelieved for joy. I just didn't believe it could happen, so I just kept talking and trying to convince her to go out with me. I didn't even register. That's disbelieving for joy, right? A couple of years ago, my family, we have kind of a hate-hate relationship with technology, or at least Janelle and I do. And we've been trying to teach our kids to not love technology like we don't love it. And we've been less than successful. And uh, one of the ways that we've blessed them is we've held off phones from them <laughs> for many, many years. And when Spencer, our oldest child, I think she was 17, when, 
how old was she? Does any Spears kid remember? Uh, 16, when she was 16, 17, 17. When she was 17, for her birthday, we gave her a phone. And this is what happened. She just kept saying, no, no, you're tricking me. (laughs) No. And she cried and she accused us of tricking her. She disbelieved for joy. That's what they're doing. Like, no way. Shut up, Jesus. You're not really raised from the dead. You're not really here. No, you're not. Jesus was. And they didn't see it coming because they, were, they believed that the healing of the world was going to happen all in one whack at the end of time. And here's something that happened out of order. Jesus Christ was standing there, living, breathing, risen from the dead. He, and look what it says next, verse 41. I love this. While they were marveling, which is while they were saying, shut up, no way. Are you serious? Holy cow. They were doing all of that. Look what Jesus did. He was like, Man, this is going to take a while. Do y'all have anything to eat? And I guess he was just sitting back thinking, I need a little snack while they process this because who knows how long it's going to take them to get there. And then it says they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate before them. Now think about this for a minute. This is the story Luke chooses to tell to help you and me understand what the resurrection meant. This is his way of teaching us what it means. And it's just striking what's missing from this. Don't you find it a little bit odd that the end of the Gospels all end in these kind of things with Jesus saying, look and touch and feel and let me, let me have something to eat? Look, all four Gospels tell the Easter story with the same emphasis. In all four Gospels, on the cross, in his death, Jesus had taken all the sin and all the death and all the shame and all the sorrow of the whole world upon himself and he let it do his worst to him. And in doing that, he destroyed it. He destroyed its power, which means, because he did that on Friday, because he did that on the cross, it means there was nothing to stop the new creation from breaking through. That's what Jesus' body is. It's the new creation. It's the first fruits. It's the breaking through of the new creation. Jesus' resurrection is the first sign that something changed. It's the sign, it's the manifestation that, there, that the world operates in a way it used to not operate. Death doesn't have the power it used to have. And it's the first manifestation that new creation is not just going to happen all at once at the end of all things. It's come rushing forward into the presence, the present, and it's going to break through the way, the way seeds break through the ground. Remember, Jesus had told all these parables that the kingdom was going to grow slow. It was going to break through here. It was going to break through there. And suddenly, here it was. Sometimes when modern Christians talk about Easter and Jesus' resurrection, they talk as if the meaning of the resurrection is that Jesus rose from the dead so we can go to heaven. But none of the Gospels end talking about heaven. They all end talking about what's different here. Now, is heaven a part of the Bible? Absolutely. For which I'm super grateful, right? Don't get me wrong. I am interested in what happens to me after I die. 
in my own life. A couple of years ago, I, as most of you know, I had COVID and I was in ICU and it was very hard. And at one point, the doctors told us if I didn't change that we, we needed to go ahead and get our affairs in order. And in that moment, heaven mattered. It mattered an awful lot to me. Like Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. There's a secret little club in our church of people who have almost died who all share that same view when we talk with each other in private. That there are moments in this life where what we almost experienced, what we had the bare glimpse of, is something that there are times in our life where we wished we had it. That there is a thing about what we Christians get to experience on the other side of death that makes all the sufferings of this life fall away. And to be there is a great gain. On Friday, March the 22nd, 2002, my wife and I lost a child through miscarriage. Her name was Sydney. And I'm comforted. Like King David was when he lost a child, when his son died. And he said in 2 Samuel 12, 23, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. I am comforted like David to know that I will see Sydney. I'm comforted to know that I will see my mom and my daughter. And like I said, I am very interested in what happens to me after I die. But that is not what the resurrection accounts teach us about. That's in the Bible. That's very important. But here's the deal. I'm not the only pebble on the beach. And the beach is more than the sum total of all the pebbles. The resurrection of Jesus, is, it, it's not just about the fact that Jesus is alive. Therefore, he is God. You can have a relationship with him. There's life after death. You get to enjoy it when you die. All that is true. But you can't find that in any of the gospel writers talking about the resurrection. That comes up in other places. When the gospel writers talk about the resurrection, the story they tell is that the new creation has rushed forward. And it has broken through into the old, tired creation here and now, the whole emphasis here in Luke 24 is that a new world, a new creation, a new order of being has come into existence. God has made a way through death out the other side. And the world as we know it, the world of beautiful sunrises and battered children, the world that gives us so much joy and so much pain in large doses, this world is itself being put to death and brought through the grave to new life. And that is why, as we saw last week, the followers of Jesus are marked by worship. They're marked by wonder. They're marked by this thing, worship, this putting love into action. We're marked by this because in the resurrection we see that love is stronger than death. That the God who made the world and has grieved over its fall into sin and corruption has not left the world to stew in its own juices. He's entered it. He's taken its pain and its shame and its death upon himself. And he broke the power of that stuff. And, and, and he brought through new creation. And so when we do what we're doing this morning, we gather to worship Jesus. And it's not just that Jesus wants us to feel better about ourselves. That's one reason I come to worship. This morning, I woke up with a deep sadness. And I longed for this moment. 
I longed to worship God with you because I knew that if I could do this with you, if I could worship with you, if I could sing the songs of the faithful with you, if I could confess my sins with you, I knew that this would reach deep into my sadness and it would help me this morning. And it's done that. And that is part of the reason we go to worship, is to feel better because we get battered all week long. But that's not all that's going on in worship. In worship, what we are doing is we are joining to celebrate Jesus' victory over death and evil. And we join him at his meal. And as we do that, we are bonded with him. And his new creation life seeps into our lives. By coming together week after week and celebrating the new creation with a meal. Which is so, it happens at the end of the Gospels. That's the way the new creation breaks forward. As we gather week after week celebrating the new creation through Jesus' meal, his abiding presence changes us. And when we celebrate his meal, we aren't just whistling in the dark. Bread and wine are taken up in the Eucharist, into God's purposes, and become to us vehicles through which we can taste the fact that there really is a new world breaking through, that there is a new hope, that there is a new way to live, and we are part of it. And we bring our brokenness, and we bring our tiredness, and our sadness, and the long hours we've wasted doing our own thing instead of God's thing. We bring these to worship, and somehow they fall away, and we become again people of celebration, people of the new creation, people of the new world, which is a world of fresh light, and fresh forgiveness, and new starts, and new hopes. And that's what we saw last week. And we've got to learn how worship is love in action. It's the church celebrating the fact that Christ is risen and that we are risen with him. But here at the end of Luke's gospel and at the end of all four of the gospels, we see that not only does Jesus' resurrection mean the new creation has come, not only does it mean that there's a new celebration All four gospel writers highlight those two things, new creation, new celebration, and they highlight the new commission. We have a new job to do. You see, Easter is not only the start of the church's worship, Easter is also the start of the church's mission. And the same way that our worship is rooted in what happened in the resurrection and in the cross, Our mission is tied to the cross and the resurrection. Worship and mission, they're conjoined twins. They share a heart. The heart that loves God the creator and and that loves for his sake the world that he made. And particularly the creatures that bear his image. On the cross, Jesus won the victory and we respond to the love that he poured out on the cross with a love of our own. The love for the one who died for us and a love for the world he died for. What we see when we read through the end of the Gospels and then keep reading into the New Testament, reading about the lives of these first followers of Jesus, we see that they, the reason when they were sitting back And remembering what happened that weekend, that first weekend when Christ was crucified. And then the reason sitting back, they picked this story to record. 
out of the hundreds of stories was that this is the meaning of Easter. That new creation, that a new thing happened that doesn't happen. And that our job is to look at that and then to feel the impact of that and to let that teach us what mission is. And what we need to do is to recognize that our job is to move out into this tired, death-infested world and draw down on the power of the Spirit and labor for new creation in all the places that are broken. Jesus was raised from the dead, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, as the first fruit. The longest chapter in the Bible talking about the resurrection is 1 Corinthians 15. 50 verses talking about Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And we read just the very end of it. And the very last verse, it's verse 58. The very last thing after Paul's been going on and on and on for 57 verses. He boils it all down to this. So your labor is not in vain. Not so you can rest easy. You'll go to heaven. Now, is it true that those who love Jesus are going to get to go to heaven when they die? Absolutely. But that's not the end of the deal. That's just an intermediary state. The end of the deal is the renewal of... The end of the thing is Isaiah 60. When the ships of the empires, the ships of Tarshish, the ships that carried off slaves, when they get converted... The economic structures of the empires get converted and serve the king of kings. And slave ships turn into vessels of God's kingdom. They're redeemed, not abolished. When when the rams of Nabaioth or, or, or rams that are used in God's kingdom, when all the dust settles and it's all over, Isaiah 60 is what it's going to be. My sons and my daughters, it says, are going to come home. Not to a disembodied state out there. And when Paul is reflecting on Isaiah 60 and the promises of Psalm 37, that the meek shall inherit the earth, when he's working his way through all of these passages and he's looking back at them through the lens of the resurrection, through the lens of the cross, he he gets to the end of it and he says, so this means that our labors are not in vain. Zelda's labors, working at the hospital, in mental health, they are not in vain. Those of you who are teaching school, and it's so hard right now in our school systems, your labors are not in vain. The artist for whom it is so hard to do a beautiful, truthful thing, that labor is not in vain. That's where it all ends. It's not only a new new creation. It's not only a new celebration. It is a new commission to go into this world and to find the dead spots. Because why? Because that's what it's about. Jesus is breaking through. He's risen from the dead. God's new creation has begun. And so we've got two things to do as Christians. We've got, number one, to worship, to celebrate. And number two, to draw down on the power of the Spirit, to move out into our communities, and to make new creation happen. Where in our city do we need to see the victory of Jesus over evil? Where in our community are the hungry and the dispossessed? Where are the rich buying unhappiness in expensive wrappings? Where are the poor fighting for crumbs that fall from the tables of the rich? Where are the religious people using their religion as a screen to shut out the pain of the world? And where are the irreligious people using the world as a screen to shut out the pain of God? 
Jesus is risen. The power of death has been broken. And we must celebrate that victory in our worship and then go from here into the corridors of power and the alleyways of despair to the businessmen and the prostitutes, to the police officers and the drug dealers and the gang members, to the citizens and to those who do not have citizenship. Our job is to move into this world, find the dead, decaying places and draw down on God's power And use a love that he has given us to love a world and to labor. Why? Because we have the hope that our labor is not in vain. That's what the resurrection's about. It's about the fact that our labor is not in vain. So, you've recently graduated. What are you going to do with your life? Go work. Find the broken places. Find how your gifts, your abilities, your experiences, your privileges in life has given you an ability to go to those broken places and to spend your life knowing that your labor is not in vain. Let's pray.